6: Hope you're having a great day. Obviously, uh, we continue to have these days in our country when um I, I do think that maybe this last incident becomes a unifier, not as much as a divider, but 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 we'll see. We'll see. We still have these times when. Incidents happen in our country and we react to them. And, you know, when you're a, a sports guy, you're like, I, wanna, I got a lot of sports to talk about. But there's the human side to it. There's the American side to it. And there's the reality to it, which now sports and I don't even think it's politics, but life kind of intersect. So, like, look, I, I got gotcha. you. I understand. It is part of your thoughts, your conversations, what's going on in your TV and your phones, whatever. And and we'll get to it. Kevin Clark's going to join us in 25 minutes. Kevin writes for The Ringer. We'll get his thoughts on a couple different things. Massive contract for Buda Baker. What does that mean for Jamal Adams? What does it mean for the sport? What does it mean for the Arizona Cardinals? Eddie House is going to join us in an hour and a half. Eddie, of course, played on one of the championship teams with LeBron James and the Miami Heat. Get his thoughts on uh, LeBron's magnificent performance. Virtuoso, really. Last night, as the Lakers dominated the Portland Trailblazers, and Frank Isola will join us in the third hour of the show. There's a lot to get to. Can I can I give you something called the gambler's fallacy? It's funny. I knew, I I knew I'm not going to sit here and claim I knew what gambler's fallacy was up until Ryan Music, my producer, discussed it with me earlier, and then I immediately Googled it on my phone. But it's, it's just this general idea, okay, that we think of percentages as, hey, if, I, if I'm going to get a hit three times in 10 and I strike out or ground out or fly out the first seven times, well, then the next three times, statistically speaking, I'm money. That's part of the gambler's fallacy. It's an erroneous belief that if a particular event occurs more frequently than normal during the past, it's less likely to happen in the future or vice versa. When it has otherwise been established that the probability of such events does not depend on what has happened in the past, such events having the quality of historical independence are referred to as statistically independent. And the fallacy is commonly associated with gambling. Where it may be believed, for example, that the next dice roll is more likely, uh, is is more usually likely to be six because there have recently been less than usual the number of sixes. How does this approve? How does this? How does this have anything to do with sports gambling? Is that what you're thinking? Okay, I got it for you. Basically, the Houston Rockets and even Rockets fans, sports fans in general, I believe operate. Under this belief, the gambler's fallacy. It's the live by the three, die by the three. Uh, Yesterday, the Houston Rockets lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, it should be pointed out that the Rockets, a team that I praised for their defense, continues to play without Russell Westbrook, who's not only former MVP, but previous to this year, the three previous years, had averaged a triple-double. He's a tremendous player. They are not at full strength. It is unfair to start any sentence or statement about the Houston Rockets and not point that out. That said, this is an Oklahoma City team that, at forty-four and twenty-eight on the season, had massively overachieved by everybody's at a reasonable expectation. And even though he did not win the uh, most recent coaches award, he did win a partial coach of the award, meaning Billy Donovan. So you're playing an under uh, an overachieving crew. And you shoot 58 threes. 58, you make 23. Right, but part of shooting those threes is you stop driving the basketball. They only take 10 free throws. Now, analytics will tell you that you want to get layups, free throws, and threes. Um, they didn't get enough layups. They clearly didn't get enough free throws. And the threes at about 40% at 50 on 58 of them is plenty good enough, but it's just too many. Well, over half your shots being three point shots and not getting to the free throw line. There's a, a litany of issues with it, but the biggest issue is there's this belief for the, for the rockets that eventually water will find its level. Eventually the percentages will only help them out. That's, that's kind of the rudimentary look at analytics. And the problem with even the stats, if they're taken as they should be, which is every shot is independent of another shot, the truth is that the gambler's fallacy actually somewhat applies because when you add in pressure, you add in fatigue, you add in, for example, in the western conference finals a couple years ago when they when they missed what was it 26 or 27 consecutive threes in a row that does get in your head and so you become even less likely to make a shot to make a three and 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 though that actually goes in line with the gambler's fallacy it's because they believe in the game because in your in your heart of heart in your mind of minds in the depths of your soul if you're a 40% three-point shooter and you miss three or four in a row, what do you always think to yourself? I'm due. It's the same thing that you tell kids when they're at bat. Kid's a 400 hitter in Little League. He's 0 for, 0 for 4 during the game. He comes up in next innings and you, tell, and you tell him, you know, listen, you're hitting 400 in the year. You're due. That's not actually how 400 works. You're, you're 40% likelihood of getting on base or of getting a hit, excuse me, on base percentages. What's the likelihood of in that at bat only. And while it's not really and truly independent because we do know that there are runs and there are good feelings and there are good passes or there are a hittable counts, or if you've gotten a hit earlier in the game, or if you've hit the pitcher, well, you are more likely to get a hit. All of those things go against what I'm talking gambler's fallacy, but the basics of it are the reason the Rockets keep shooting threes is eventually the numbers will work in their favor because they're playing guards because that's how they play and it's worth more points. But the reality is that's the gambler's fallacy. The, I mean, you've also had the blackjack table and been like a rookie card counter, you know, and not seen face cards. And thought to yourselves, the probability of seeing a face card is higher. I mean, who hasn't been at the craps table and you convince yourself that the stats be damned. Forget about anything else. I know that I've been running a cold hand or or, I mean, look, we do we do this thing even at the blackjack table where we'll get up if our dealer gets up, like the dealer has anything to do with what card you get. The dealer has nothing to do with what card you get. But how many times have you been sitting there and the dealer does the thing with their hands and you're like, okay, here's a tip. We're both out. I've been running a fever because that dealer has been dealing me good cards. The dealer just deals the cards. Many of these things have auto shuffle. They don't even shuffle the cards anymore. They're basically a friendly robot. Um, this from stats muse that's on Twitter. Most three pointers missed by a team in a playoff game. 37. The Rockets, uh, missed 35 yesterday. They've previously missed 37, 36 and 35. And while the stats will tell you that if you shoot 40% from three, that's be- way better than shooting 50% from two. The problem is if you don't get to the free throw line, which they didn't, you're back playing defense. If you miss 35 threes as they did, those are long rebounds. That helps trigger the fast break. Again, you're not getting a break for your defense. You're constantly back in transition. The caroms and rebounds are long. And oh yeah, by the way, you only got eight offensive boards. You're constantly getting back on defense, playing a longer amount of time, a harder amount of time against a more physical team that shot 28 free throws, 18 more. I mean, look, we've... We've seen all of this before. They allowed Oklahoma City to shoot 49% from the field. That's abysmal defense. They allowed Oklahoma City to get to the free throw line 28 times. They were beaten in offensive rebounds, granted only by one. And they get beat by a team who I think many people would think their roster is younger and inferior. This is Rockets Playoff Basketball 101. And if this series doesn't get him, this thing might still go six. It's 2-2. And Oklahoma City does look a little overmatched at times when Lou Dort is not there as a shooter, is a very good defender. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a really good player, but not yet there as a shooter. And Chris Paul's a little long in the tooth. Yeah, he did have 26 and three and six rebounds, but didn't make a three. Steven Adams can be at times ineffective despite a massive size advantage. Like all of these things are reasonable. Oklahoma City is a good team. They're fine. But the, the reason the Rockets constantly lose in the playoffs, once you get further on the playoffs, is the same reason one they're losing now. They take too many threes. They don't get to the free-throw line. That causes them to play longer defense, to wear out their legs. They play more games than they normally should. And then, then, when you get later on in the playoffs, now they have the attrition of having played six and seven seven games in previous playoff series at that same ferocious pace. And what normally would be a 40% shot from three, which they shoot too often, is now a 35% shot from three because they're just exhausted and they're under more pressure. The gambler's fallacy is what the Rockets and Rocket fans and analytic fans that don't truly understand the numbers suffer from. Hey, I didn't make 35. That's okay. I'll take 35 more because the numbers tell me I'm going to make them this time. When the numbers actually don't say that. They say you're 40% likely to make each individual shot. That doesn't go up to 60% or 70, or 80 when you've missed 15 in a row. That's not how it works. Right, coming up next. The Lakers were dominant last night. Can we now consider them the best team in the West yet again? I'll tell you. Upcoming next.
0: With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C.,
5: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: Doug Gottlieb Show! Fox Sports Radio. So the Lakers dominated the Trailblazers last night. And um do we have word on I guess Isaac Lowencron will give us an update momentarily if we do we have word on uh the injuries suffered by Damian Lillard as he had an MRI. The game was over at the end of the first course. 18-point lead. Lakers score 43, give up 25. And if you look at what the Lakers have done to the Trailblazers, keep in mind, this is the Trailblazers who uh, once they got into the bubble, right, once they got into the bubble, they 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. They scored 140, 124, 110, 125, uh, 117, 124, 134, and 134. Actually, and then throw in one more, 121. twenty that, That's how many points they've scored. And then the Lakers have held them to, even the win, they had 100. 88, 108, 115 in a game that was, you know, a bunch of their points were scored um, in the third quarter when the game, it was a wrap. And only then they got to 115. Point is, the Lakers are a dominant defensive team, and they have flexed their muscles against the Trailblazers. Um. I'm told that everybody was wrong about Carmelo Anthony being washed when Carmelo Anthony has had one decent game in the the playoffs so far. And by decent game, he missed, I think, his first seven or eight shots. And only afterwards, only in the second half, did he catch a little fever and hit like five or six mid-range jump shots in a row. And that was in a game in which they were never really close. Last night he had 16 points on 15 shots, one of six from three point range. He's shooting 32% from the field, 30% from three point range and 43% from the line. He can't guard LeBron. He obviously can't guard Anthony Davis. And so they have to hide him defensively. And he's not helping them enough offensively. Please stop telling me he's not washed. And the other big issue, and he has shown no negative attitude at all. None was people didn't know if he would take a tertiary or even lower role. And he has embraced in Portland. But the bigger thing is this, that the Lakers have kind of discovered themselves, right? I think they always knew who they were, but they were trying to figure it out because you lost Avery Bradley, who's a dynamic on ball defender and he become a good shot maker off the ball. Um, And they're just trying to figure out how they can just score enough points because they know they can lock you up defensively. Anthony Davis was a plus 37 last night. Alex Caruso was a plus 15. Danny Green a plus 29. It's interesting when Danny Green actually hits shots. Do I think they're the favorite? I think they are for this reason. They are not as overall talented as the L.A. Clippers. Clippers have more weapons to choose from as far as scores. But the Lakers know exactly who they are. And it's the same way in life, really. Knowing who you are, even if it's not, you're not perfect. You're not expected to be perfect. Knowing who you are is going to help you go farther than trying to figure out who you are, especially in the playoffs or in you know, times, in, in crazy times in regular life. That, that's the real truth to it. You know, and the Lakers know they're not some offensive juggernaut. They're just not. If Danny Green makes shots, it opens up the floor. Some If Contavious Caldwell Pope makes shots, opens up the floor even more. But the way in which they've won this many games, 52 and 19 is by shutting people down defensively. And then LeBron and Anthony Davis carry them offensively. Whereas the Clippers we Kawhi's the go to guy is the is Lou Williams or is Paul George the secondary go to guy? How do they go get a rebound when they miss it? Because though Kawhi's a very good rebounder, if he has the ball, it's not like he's crashing the glass. Uh and are there you know, they're all about their bench and their depth, but are is is it is it quantity, not quality?
7: Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern noon Pacific.
6: Doug Gottlieb show Fox sports radio. Kevin Clark covers the NFL for the ringer. Check out slow news day and follow him on Twitter at by Kevin Clark. Um, let, let's start with Earl Thomas. Some reports say Dallas is most likely obviously wanted to go there when he's in Seattle. He told them to come get him. Um, But Mike McCarthy came out and said that chemistry is the most important part of building a team. That would sound like a direct shot uh, at Earl Thomas, whose fire was extinguished by his teammates in Baltimore. Uh, What do you think the chances are of Earl Thomas ending up with the Cowboys?
9: I think it comes down to Jerry, and that's it. And I think it's 50-50 at this point, if I were to guess. I think when a team like the Baltimore Ravens says that they're okay, depending on how the grievance process plays out, with giving up $25 million in cap space to not have a top five coverage safety in the league on their team, I think you should learn some lessons from that and not go after him. And if you do go after him, make it very incentive-laden, make the contract very easy to get out. And so I – I'm with McCarthy in a sense that chemistry is the most important thing. There was a group of veterans, even though Earl Thomas is a really good football player, there was a group of veterans who came to John Harbaugh and said, we don't want this guy on the team anymore. He missed practice or was late to practice because he was getting, his, quote, his car washed. I don't even understand that. Um, so it's. I think there are two types of transactions, Doug. You know this. If a dumb team does something, you can take advantage of it. If a smart team does something, you should learn from it. And the Ravens are a smart team. I'd be very wary.
6: Um, yeah, I, I the, the car wash thing is fascinating to me. Uh, that's not even a good excuse. That's not, <laughs> not even a, a good one. Although, you know, those guys that you'd like, come on guys, you guys got to hurry up. Like, I get it. You want to get the armor all on, uh, how, Kevin, how much do you tip when you get your car wash? I, I tip every, uh, I, I kind of have a blanket, like 20%, right? Isn't that I, I just I don't know I mean, whatever I, okay, it is. Okay, but so if you get no, a, so if you get a detail, is, yeah. you know, like you don't pull up and the guy goes, oh, we have a spent, we got a great deal for you. Let me give you a detail, fifty nine ninety nine. Now, are you on the hook to 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 tip twenty percent of that, or is it, if you get the nine ninety nine wash, you only tipping twenty percent of that? Like, you know, how do you how do you do you do the math I, on I will the fly? That. if I feel like I'm
9: being unfairly charged in some way, I yes. will go down to fifteen percent. I yes. will go down to fifteen percent. I will say, you know what, I'm not giving you. a The full fare here. I think that it is a case by case when you're dealing with things that aren't restaurants or bars.
6: Buddha Baker, now the highest paid safety in this sport, is he worth it? Is he
9: the best safety in the sport? No, but is uh, you know, until Patrick Mahomes signed his extension a couple weeks ago, we'd gone a long time without the best quarterback in the sport being the highest paid quarterback in the sport. So I think that it doesn't necessarily matter um, if, if he, whether or not he's the best, but I think he's really good, and he's worth a mega extension. I think that Cardinals defense is going to be really, really interesting. You add an Isaiah Simmons, and I think there's a lot of pressure on Vance Joseph this year to be creative with that stuff. And I start to look at the Cardinals' young core, and I see a lot of pieces I like, man. I mean, Kyler Murray, I saw a stat a couple of weeks ago, over 80% of his – he's connecting over 80% of his passes, over 30 yards. I mean, this could be – even if I don't think they're going to win 10 games this year, this could be uh, one of the most exciting teams to watch in the NFL. Uh, and, and I think that that's, that's on both sides of the ball now. And I just kind of like the job Steve Kahn's done the last two, three, four years in reclaiming a team that looked like, in the post arians world, it was going to go anywhere.
6: Kevin Clark joining us in the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, okay, so now we're led to believe that Cam Newton, first one in, last one out of the facility, far and away the best guy. After the week before, there was some that were like, yeah, Hoyer seems to have a better grasp of things, obviously. He's been here before. And Cam looks a little slow to come around And all the verbiage. Uh, what are you to believe on what's really happening in New England?
9: I think Cam Newton's a lot better than the other guys, And I think that that will, that will be evident. And the beat writer, Phil Perry, said yesterday that Cam's running away with it. I think you don't bring in Cam Newton unless you plan for him to be the starter. Um, I don't think it's a financial commitment because obviously the financial commitment wasn't that severe. It was a philosophical commitment. You're not going to bring Cam Newton in and have him sit on the bench. Um, I just think that's a weird team-building move. And so the Patriots know what they're doing. You know, Jared Stidham going to the hospital for precautionary reasons for an injury obviously takes him out of the mix for a little bit. And I, I don't know if he's going to be able to reenter enter the, the quote-unquote rotation in the competition for the next couple of weeks. And so... Even if he's back on the field, uh, it's not a true competition anymore. Brian Hoyer is Brian Hoyer. I, I think Cam Newton is, is is your week one starter, and I think that everybody at this point is, is pretty comfortable with that in New England.
6: I've been asking everybody I respect um, who covers football this question, So um, there, and there is no wrong answer, but you know the teams we generally talk about, right? Like in national mm-hmm. radio... There's like five, you know, we talk about the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, and we talk about the Patriots and what's going to happen, and now Tampa and whatever. Give me a team that you think is going to be really good that we don't talk enough about. Well, it's funny because one of the teams that we talk about all the time
9: historically is going to be really good if people are sleeping on them, that's Pittsburgh. And I think that Ben Roethlisberger coming in, you know, the, the last year Aaron Shatson and, and Football Outsiders had this a couple of weeks ago they had the fourth biggest decline on offense in history, yeah. in history. And they still managed to almost exceed their win total for the season, almost made the playoffs if they got in a couple of breaks. So I put Pittsburgh in one category. Indianapolis is another one. And again, this is weird because Phillip Rivers is incredibly famous. And that, that transaction was overcovered when it happened, but that's a team that's really deep. They have probably the best general manager in football right now, Chris Bauer. They have really good offensive staff. So I think Indianapolis is, is a team that I'm thinking a lot about. And then I, I know, again, I know it's a little bit weird, but Cleveland. And I think they, they've, they've plugged some holes they had last year. And then the last team I would throw out, and again, we've talked about them a lot, Houston Super Bowl odds are on par with Denver right now, Atlanta. And I just think that's ridiculous because I think we've conflated Bill O'Brien being a bad GM with Bill O'Brien being a bad coach. And I don't think he's a bad on-field coach from a scheme standpoint. And I think that Deshaun Watson is the type of quarterback who can win a Super Bowl. And so I think it's a little bit foolish to write any of those teams off right now.
6: That's great. Okay. Now give me a team that everybody assumes is going to be good that won't.
9: Hmm. I, you know, it is a very hard year for that because I think that continuity matters a lot when, when, when talking about um, who's going to be good from one year to the next. I think it's going to be a lot of chalk. Uh, I would say well, one team. I think you know Tennessee, AFC Championship contenders last year. Obviously, were up in, in, in that game. Uh, they've been nine and seven for a long time, and I just don't see them taking much of a jump. And then you think about the division they're in with Houston, Indianapolis. So I would say that. And and then I would also say I think they're going to make the playoffs. But I think Dallas as a Super Bowl contender is a little bit much right now, just because of what we're talking about. Where. Mike McCarthy has been on Zoom for, for five months out of his offseason, okay? It is really hard to take over as a head coach right now and, and, and build a Super Bowl winner. That's why, you know, even Cleveland, I think they'll be good, but I think they're, you know, they'll, they'll make the last wild card spot, something like that. I'm Look, I still think Philadelphia is going to win that division. Um, my thoughts have evolved on that throughout the season, but I, 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 I think any team... That is talked about as a Super Bowl contender. That has a lot of work to do in the offseason, Isn't going to get there this year.
6: It's a, it's a, it's a great point. It's interesting because he's not calling plays, right? Right. Um, so you end up having the same play caller, although they're switching defensive schemes, and so that will be a completely, uh, completely different look. Let me switch back to we talked about Buda Baker, and you don't think he's the best safety? I would. I, I'm. Are you thinking is Derwin James your guy? Because that would be my guy. Um, yeah,
9: Derwin James. I mean, I think you have, I, by the way, Jamal Adams will be the highest paid safety as soon as he puts pen to paper.
6: Yeah, okay, um, so, so does that mean, do you, do you believe that Derwin James, that, that, that Jamal Adams does in fact get more money than Budabaker?
9: I do, I do. And I, I think that the leverage he has, you know, we've seen this in the past couple of years where a guy gets traded for two first round picks or one first round pick and they don't have a contract and they have a lot of leverage in negotiations because the team, quite frankly, can't let them go. You look in in Houston with the Laramie Tunsil negotiation, very similar to this, where Laramie Tunsil was able to make a ton of money because really Bill O'Brien couldn't let him out the door. And I think John Schneider and Pete Carroll are in that situation right now. I think they're a better-run team than than Houston, but that's a separate thing. Um, I think Derwin James, as far as his flexibility, um, I think that we sleep on him a little bit because he plays on a team that not a lot of people care about. But I, I, I think he's extraordinary. And I think and this is something a lot of smart people have said. You wonder why the Chargers moved on from Phillip Rivers this year when you look at their roster, and it's darn good. I mean, it is a really good roster. And I understand drafting Justin or whoever, bringing in Tyrod Taylor, but I don't know, man, I would love to have Phillip rivers on that roster. If I was Tom Telesco right now, and I'm not totally sure with their blue chip talent everywhere, why they decided to gamble at the quarterback position.
6: Well, I, I, I understand that. I would say that you had blue chip talent last year and he was a mess. Now the offensive line needed to be better, but he's, he's just so immobile and he made yeah. so many bad decisions. And I don't think it was necessarily all their call either. I, Actually, think it was a mutual parting of the ways, where they're just like, yeah, this is just—it's run its course, you know. Yeah. It, it, has, it has run its course. Now we'll see because Indy has a very good offensive line, a very good running game, and they sh- and and indoors should protect him from an old arm. But I I I actually think, and this is my argument for. That I've been told from inside that building about why Tyrod Taylor was better than Cam Newton. They're like, look, five years ago, you take Cam Newton, you know, six days a week and twice on Sunday. This is not five years ago. Um, Tyrod Taylor's played in the playoffs. He knows the system. They want a they want a quarterback who can move more. Uh, they yeah. think it'll help the running game. Uh, they they think it'll help him on third down. You know, and 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 he's solid. And he only makes anyone doesn't make that much money. And they got to pay all these other guys. So I think all yeah, of those things that. go in there.
9: I get that, you know. Rich Warrenberger who played with Philip Rivers, on my podcast a couple weeks ago, and he made the point. And I keep thinking about this: that essentially, there's no one you want less than Philip Rivers in a bad situation. And what he means by that is Philip Rivers is so competitive that when they're down eight points and they're doing their thing, and, and you know they're they're 80 yards from the end zone, he's going to force it, and he's not going to take a sack, and he's not going to lay up. Uh, to use a golf terminology. And he's he's a bad a bad quarterback to have in that in that situation because he's competitive to a fault. And I think you drop him into Indy, where the offensive line is really good, the infrastructure is better, uh, the the offensive schemes I think will be be a little bit better because just as I think Frank Reich, we've seen it now in Indy and in um, in Philadelphia, and obviously before that in San Diego. But I think that Philip Rivers, in a situation where he has to do a lot. That's the wrong environment for him right now. And so I think last year that that kind of happened a little bit with the offensive line, with some of the injuries there, that he felt like he had to put the team on his back. And that's where you saw a lot of the disaster strike, quite frankly.
6: Yeah, I mean, like, look, I, I think, uh, look, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to it. Uh, but I would say that you, I, they played in Oakland last year, right, against the Raiders. And he throws eight passes and none of them are complete. And none of them were un- underneath and he's you know he's got Keenan Allen he's got Hunter Henry, you know he's yeah. got Austin Eckler, plenty of guys to dump the ball off to. They had a full boat of timeouts, and a winnable game. And he's chucking it downfield, which is the weakest part of his game. And it didn't make any. There, there were parts to what he was doing and how he was reacting, which was really bizarre for a guy of his veteran experience. And maybe it's because of all those factors that you that you brought up. Doug Gottlieb show Fox Sports Radio. Kevin Clark is our guest. Uh, Slow news day is the show, and of course you can follow him. On Twitter, at ByKevinClark. If, uh, gun to your head, gun to your head, who's in the Super Bowl this year? I
9: keep going back and forth. It's such a chalky year. I'm going to go San Francisco-Baltimore. I just think, I I think those are the two, I think Kansas City and Baltimore are the two best teams in football by a wide margin. I think it's going to be tied in the fourth quarter with five minutes to go and it's going to be a couple plays and I think Lamar gets there.
6: I mean, like, look, we we have to said Kansas City bringing back almost all the start. Now they have two, Damien Williams. I think uh, that, that hurts him. You know, I, I don't. I yeah, you, know, you bring in a rookie running back, you don't know how he will do in pass protection. You don't know how he'll do. You know, throughout the regular season, there's like a lot of things you don't know. Whereas Damien Williams, you did. Even if he's longer in the tooth, he was the best player for much of the Super Bowl for the for the the, the Chiefs. Yep. And you lose a talented starting offensive lineman. But it'd be interesting to see if Baltimore can take that next step and be better, even though they got rid of Earl Thomas. Kevin, great stuff, man. Awesome, and I love your work and love Slow News Day. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Doug. What are the chances the next head coach of the Sixers comes from the college game? Find out next.
7: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. This is game time. It's game time. On the Doug Gottlieb Show.
8: Let's see, what will it be today? What are the chances? Always a festival of fun. Philadelphia 76ers, general Mangler El, excuse me, Philadelphia 76ers general manager Elton Brand addressed the media today after firing head coach Brett Brown. So that means there are several candidates for their job out there. What are the chances that someone who wouldn't have to change his commute very much, what are the chances Villanova head coach Jay Wright leaves Villanova and college basketball to become the head coach of the Sixers?
6: Um, I think it's like 30% chance. I really think it's like a, a 30% chance. And, and, you know, do I, do I believe that NBA coaches like coaching in the NBA better? Cause it's just about basketball. I do. I do. And look, he's at a rare time, which he wouldn't have to move. As you pointed out, he'd make ungodly sums of money and he would be able to kind of pick his team as they build it while probably keeping one of the two potential stars. Um, he could bring back in, you know, some of his Nova guys in terms of leadership and buy-in, but I just I don't see it. I, I could be wrong. He's been in that conversation so many times and turned it down. I don't know why this time would be any different.
8: Now you discussed this with Kevin Clark a short time ago. The Arizona Cardinals signing Buda Baker, the largest contract in the history of the NFL for his position of safety. Around the same time this news broke, Jamal Adams was trending on Twitter. So, what are the chances Adams, now of the Seahawks, tries to hold out for a new deal to eclipse Baker's?
6: Um, I don't think he holds out. I think they probably have a general agreement in place as to when and how. And it's it's so uh, was a percentage chance that he holds out?
8: Yeah, uh, tries to hold out for a
6: new deal. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say ten percent. 10%. You, you don't trade for a guy who wants a new contract unless you're going to give him a new contract, right? And you don't trade two first-round picks unless you think the guy's maybe the best at his position. Right. So it's just a question of uh, what what the actual dollars are. I I don't think. He, I 10% chance he holds up.
8: Talk about a former Seahawk. We can add Earl Thomas to the list of big-name veteran free agents out there. What are the chances that Jadevian Clowney signs with a team before Earl Thomas does?
6: Uh oh! I think Jadevian Clowney can sign anytime he wants. It's just gonna come down to how much money he wants to to take, how or how little money he wants to take compared to how much he's he, he he'll take. Um shoot. I'm gonna say chances Jadevion Clowney,
8: sixty-five percent chance he signs before Earl Thomas. Ah, getting more and more precise. Let's go back to a current Seattle Seahawk. That would be Russell Wilson. He told Sports Illustrated, I'm right at the beginning of my prime. I have so many more years left, at least 10-plus years left. I'm just getting started. My goal is to play another 15 years. So he's 31 now. That would make him 46. What are the chances Russell Wilson achieves his goal and plays for another 15 years until age 46? 5% chance. 5% 5% chance. It's, it's not just that your body
6: starts to break down or whatever. It's just at some point you're like, I, I you know, I'm married to a superstar. I have kids. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to have a life. And he'll have tons and tons and tons of money. And Russell Wilson will be able to go and do TV whenever he wants, whatever. 5% chance he's played like, you know, athletes are the opposite of average Joe's average. Joe's always talk about retiring early. Man, I I get to fifty, I'm done. I'm done. Then they get to fifty, you're like, man, I got to keep working. I got kids and alimony, and you know I'm gonna work for a long. Plus, if I if I stop working, it'll be like I'm dead, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas athletes, like, well, I want to play forever. They're like, "Uh, all right, well, do you want to train forever? Well, no, that part I don't want to do. So, Mm -hmm. it's not gonna get easier. It's gonna get harder. And. You know, everybody says when when they're 30 that when they're 40, they'll feel like they're 30, and when you're 40, you feel like you're 40.
8: Yeah, good point. It's not Sundays. It's uh, (coughs) going to be Mondays through uh, Saturdays by that point. Finally, we're officially at the halfway point of the Major League Baseball season. Well, everybody except the Cardinals. What are the chances we get a Dodgers versus Yankees World Series for the first time since 1981? 80% 80 chance. There you go. Dodgers are going to be there. They're like
6: so far and away the best team in the National League. Um, I'm not sure the Yankees get there.
9: That. That's game, huh? Game time.
7: This is game time on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Yeah, there are,
6: are a lot of injuries for the Yankees. Uh, midway point in the season, and uh, Angels are already sellers. Yeah, they're sellers. They're so bad. They're so bad. How can you, like, it's one of those deals where you're like, man, how can they be so bad? It's, yes, Rhyme Music.
2: Thanks John. Okay, Doug, our beloved <laughs> <laughs> our beloved Angels, um other than Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, I guess Anthony Rendon, Rendon yeah. yeah, obviously, but uh what exactly are they going to sell?
6: Yeah. Uh what's the uh they got a kid in the infield is really good. Um uh what's uh, Listella. No, no, not no, 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 um No, not Franklin. Uh hold on. I'll 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 find it. Um the Angels hold on. It's uh what's his name david fletcher no is it fletcher no not dave is it david fletcher yeah david fletcher cuz you know they have um they also have elinton simmons so dave david fletcher's he's under club control to like 24 he's only 26 years old he hits 300 hits for power you know and then anything from the bullpen that people want they can have it already sucks so what what's what's the difference if you sell off some pieces um I I use this saying all the time. It's called owner's own. Never is that more the case with the Cowboys. That's next to the Doug Gottlieb Show.